everybody. Welcome to Stratosphere Lounge. Uh, I'm your host, Bill Whittle. It's, uh, what is it, 5th of November, uh, 2021. I hope everybody's doing well out there. Uh, I'm going to have to make this one relatively short tonight. It's a, for those of you not watching live, it's a Friday night recording. I got back late uh, yesterday. And uh, not to mince words or anything, but I got to tell you, I think I'm just, my nerves are just shot. That's about the only way I can put it. I just, I am I'm just out of elastic, and uh, and I don't really know what to do about it. I had a uh, did a show today with Zoe about this, uh, but it's uh, it's not a question of taking time off. It's it's just this is I just feel like I'm being poisoned, you know, by all the stuff that's going on. Although uh, we did have a uh, a big win in uh, Virginia on Tuesday. I don't know how true this is. I got an email. I I I've been out of touch for the last two days, so I didn't even know that um, that we'd won in Virginia until a couple hours ago. And then I just checked my mail and saw in a group email that somebody said that the um, the largest Democratic precinct was not reporting. Uh, they were holding out basically. Uh, and I don't know if anybody knows if they can back that story up. Uh, but if they can, um, uh, then apparently what happened is the uh, cheating machine um, went on uh, overdrive, but they either, they couldn't, the, the win was too overwhelming. Um, Virginia was one of those, wasn't it one of the five states that uh, stopped counting? Maybe somebody can help me with that. I used to remember these things. In the 2020 election one year ago. So regardless, um, it looks like, uh, I mean, I know I'm not exactly sounding like I'm in the mood for good news, but it is, it is somewhat good news because to be honest with you uh after the election last year which was a year ago tonight was when we were waking up to the fact that um oh all those big leads in those states that donald trump was leading on last night uh now uh he's losing in all of them remember that that was a year ago uh so one year later in one of those states uh if anybody's heard any stories about that um that one district in Virginia, the big Democratic district being late in reporting while they gathered up whatever votes they needed to win. Um, in any event, whether that happened or not, uh, we won big enough uh, to overcome the margin of cheating. Georgia, Wisconsin, Michigan, Arizona, Pennsylvania, thanks. Okay, so um, anyway, uh, it's um, it's still a big win, and uh, and even the Democratic analysts are saying it's because the Democratic Party is too woke. Somebody said um, uh, they don't want Republicans to be the party of parents; that they're the party of parents is just sometimes just a joke. That's really it, you know. Um, the uh, the um, 
this is what I was talking about. It's not a question of me needing like some time off here. Uh, I just, I can't, um, I, it's just, I just got to get away from, from all of this. Despite the Virginia win, this open, open level of cheating, I've been told on the way into the show tonight, which didn't help my nerves any, uh, that uh, effective immediately, I can't go to a restaurant without a, um, in Los Angeles, I can't go to a restaurant without a, uh, a vaccination passport, which means I won't be going to any restaurants, I guess, until I can, um, you know, never mind. Uh, that thought went overboard with the rest of my weapons in that terrible boating accident. But in any event, um, yeah, uh, Dwayne Gates says, uh, Kate, sorry, said there were signs all over Virginia saying, keep parents out of the classroom, vote McAuliffe, keep Virginia blue. He said those signs were real. I saw those signs before the election, too. I thought, is this some kind of a joke? Is this? No, it's not. Keep parents out of the classroom. There's a, you know, I was going to talk about this uh, cartoon I saw, but I got to tell you, uh, I, I just don't, I just don't have. I, if I get worked up about this stuff again, I'm, I'm really, I'm, I'm going to go down. Uh, so I'm not going to talk about this uh, cartoon that I saw. In fact, I don't really know what I'm going to talk about. Um, but um, anyway, um, we went to see uh, Sting, and that was a great show. It was really uh, incredible uh, stagecraft. Uh, he came out. Um, in a lemon yellow suit. Uh, we had good seats. He walked out from behind the curtain, um, picked up an acoustic guitar and sang Roxanne to acoustic guitar. And then they opened up in the stagecraft, just the, the, the background, the whole thing of it. I, I'll, I'll do like an edit down. Of, I just took some video just to show you how good the, the stagecraft was. Um, but... Uh, the, the infrastructure vote failed. Well, that's good news too. Um, I was I, I did two shows with Zoe today. Uh, I did one on just feeling poisoned. That's just how I feel. Uh, I've been fighting it as hard as I could, but it's just getting worse and worse. I just feel like this whole this whole thing is just poisoning me. And then the other one we did, we talked about what it's like. Uh, you know about being on stage and the thing I, I said on that show and, and the thing about uh, Sting was he just seems like um, he just seems like a really good guy I I'm not I'm barely coherent honestly I can't even finish sentences let me um somebody just put a link into something just to see what this is all about Hmm. Something on Let's Go Brandon. Steve did his show about that. Uh, so, um, so we were talking about about that because I had this very very bizarre thought uh, while I was in the audience. Uh, I don't know, a couple thousand people, I guess, in Caesar's Palace in Vegas. Um, uh, 
and I'm looking around at, and, and my first thought is, what am I doing here with all these old people? Um, and my second thought was, uh, looking around this room, I realized, and I understand how ridiculous this sounds, but I realized that Sting and I have had an experience that most of the people in this room haven't had, and that is we know what it's like to go out on stage and, and be the guy up there looking out. And I bring this up because I, I was, I was a, I mean, I like the police. The police are probably the second of all the songs I have on my phone. I'd say the police are probably second. So I always liked the police, but I wouldn't exactly call myself like a huge Sting fan. Natasha is. Um, so that's why we went. Uh, so I wasn't a big Sting fan as Sting going into it. I just liked the police music. But when I came out, I was a Sting fan. I'm a big Sting fan now, very big. And the reason for that is not because of the music, which was great, or the show, which was great. It's just because I I could not believe the um, the sincerity and the humility coming from him. And this is one of the things I talked with Zoe about just a couple hours ago. I understand when you say, oh, he seems like a really nice guy. It's like saying, oh, I think that stripper really likes me. It's his job to make you think he's a really nice guy. It's a job of an inter entertainer to make you feel like they can connect with you and so on. But I think I've been enough on, on the other side of this uh, audience line to be able to be a decent judge on whether or not uh, Sting did an album on medieval music. Holy cow. I have to find that. Um, but I was so unbelievably overwhelmingly struck by his um, his humility and his uh, his gentleness. Uh, and I thought, you know, if I'd seen this guy at the height of his powers in 83, 84, 85, somewhere in there, and he sang the same songs, it would have been a lot more energetic, a lot rougher around the edges, would have been a lot more arrogant, would have been a lot more energy. But this guy was just warm and kind and he looked like he'd been through uh, a lot and and he he just talked about it in such a way that just made me really like him really really like him and there's a lot about him that that I liked that I didn't know uh, first of all he spent a lot of time just being you know quiet and talking to people but of all the things he said that I thought were really just good uh, he said, you know, when I was, uh, when I was growing up, I was growing up in the north of England, and uh, when I was a kid, uh, I had two ambitions in life. Um, one of them was uh, I wanted to make a living as, as a musician, and immediately in my head I, I said, oh, you didn't want to be a rock and roll star, you wanted to make a living being a musician. I thought, that's an interesting distinction. I know actors and I know people who want to be movie stars. but." Um, he said, yeah, I just, just wanted to make a living being a musician. Then he said, I thought that would be an honorable way to make a living. I thought, wow. He said, but there wasn't a whole lot of calling for musicians up there because where I uh, come from is nothing but coal miners and manufacturing places. And I realized, yeah, I know that that's where my family comes from too, north, um, northwestern England, just short of the Scottish border. He said, so my two, my two ambitions were to be, one of them was to become a, make a living as a musician. He said, I must have dreamed that one really hard because here we are. Uh, 
in Las Vegas, and he seemed about as impressed about that as I am when I find myself in any of these events or talking to people who I consider to be lifelong heroes. I'm more amazed than anybody. Uh, and they said the second thing he always wanted to be was a cowboy. And that's when I decided I just really liked this guy. Um, and he talked about old westerns and uh, how he grew up on Bonanza and Rawhide. And, and he wrote a couple, and he said, and I became fascinated with country and western music. I just loved it. And I thought, good Lord. Um, I mean, who knew? He then sang, he said, he said, you know, I'm, he didn't say all these things exactly back to back, but somewhere in there he said, you know, obviously I feel, I've had a, a great career and I'm very grateful. He said, but you know, the, to me, the, the, the moment that I realized that I was a success, it, did, it wasn't albums going gold or platinum and it wasn't appearing on award shows or in movies or anything. He said, the, the moment I realized that I was a success at this was when I was in a hotel sleeping and I heard um, somebody was on one of those things washing the hotel windows outside and that person was whistling one of my songs. He said, that's when, um, that's when I knew I was a success because he, he, he reached people and touched you know, common working people. I was so, 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 so impressed with him. So impressed with him. And, and, um, and I imagine Sting at the height of his powers uh, was not, was, was probably a pretty arrogant guy. He certainly came off that way. I mean, he always had that real severe look and then there's the name and everything. And I'm looking around at all these old people in the audience and realizing, well, I guess I'm one of these old people in the audience too. Um, and uh, and then I thought, you know, I miss, I mean, it's been 40 years. Uh, the um, first time I heard his name, it was my uh, sophomore year at the University of Florida, so that had been 1980, I think. And there were four uh, actor types, four of us living in this horrible house in the student ghetto in Gainesville and um, and uh, one of them was a guy named Kelly and I won't mention Kelly's name in case he doesn't want it mentioned but Kelly was just one of these he was the first guy ever to wear like wayfarers you know he's just the cool he's just way ahead of things I came home one day and he said hey Bill you should listen to this what is it it's an album I said, what is it it's like it's called uh, remain in light by the talking heads the talking who so that's my actual favorite band um, but I think we were playing Dungeons and Dragons or Traveler. We never played Dungeons and Dragons. We were probably playing Traveler and picking characters' names. And he said, "I want to, I, I want to call me Sting." I think that, that's what I'd like to be known. I said, "That's an odd name. What, where'd you come up with Sting?" Um, and he said, "Oh, it's just a musician I know that I like a lot." The police were just starting to just starting to break out then. And the thing by far that I liked the most about Sting, by far was that Sting has not done anything to make himself look anything other than his actual age. I thought he was probably around 64, 65. I thought he was a couple years older than me. He's 70. And he was 
and he was rocking that stage, his voice and his energy. I saw, I saw, I, I didn't see it in person, but I saw the Beach Boys like in a 76 reunion concert. So like 10 years or less than after they were performing. And it was just unbelievably, un, just, just so appallingly bad. But this guy was just knocking them out, knocking them out, 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 out. And, and he's, he's just seems to be comfortable being Sting, um, he. I, I'll tell you another thing I liked about him. When we when we came into the theater, there's just a red curtain there. Nothing but a red curtain, pretty close to the edge of the stage, and there was a a bass bass guitar on a stand. That's it, just far enough away so that people couldn't touch it, but close enough so they could get lots of selfies with it. And that was there for the whole time we were walking into the theater and waiting for the show to start. And then Sting comes on and plays his first, he plays Roxanne on acoustic guitar. Then he picks up this bass. And we had good seats. But on the, on the screens on the side, I could see on the close-ups that they were shooting the live TV on that this bass was really, really beat up. I mean, it wasn't just... It hadn't been played so much that the that the wood had that the paint had been taken down off of it. You could actually see that he's actually kind of almost made like little indentation in the wood. And I thought, wow, that's a that's an old old bass. And somewhere in the middle of the show, he said, "Yeah, let me saw people talking, taking pictures with my bass." He said, "Let me tell you about this bass. Uh, it was made in 1957, a few years before I was born. Uh, I don't know um, who made it. I don't know who had it." He said, uh, now I'm, I'll probably get this wrong. I think he said that, um, that the pickups were put in by Fender himself and that he, and that he probably made this with his own hands, a Fender bass. And he said, um, and I just really love it. He said, I, obviously I can afford a new bass, but uh, I, um, I just really love this. This is my orphan. And I looked at this old, old bass and I looked at Sting and I thought, there's a guy who's... who's comfortable you know being sting and he's not trying to look 30 and he's not and he's not doing all the botox and all of the you know the eye surgery and i think about kenny rogers and how he ended up looking like an asian grandmother you know burt reynolds same thing just couldn't face it you know could not face getting older and and sting i thought he looked I thought he looked like he was in his late 50s, but he performed like he was in his 20s or 30s. His energy was unbelievable. And that gave me a lot of hope um, because I can just feel my, my energy levels and all of this. Just I just feel it every month, just really since I turned 60. I just feel it just sliding away. And he got out there, man, and he just he put he put a lot of work into that um, concert I mean, a lot of work in terms of just the energy he was putting out and i thought okay well that's that's good uh, that's um that's uh hopeful you know and there's something else too um before the show natasha and i were talking about this quite a bit because this is something else that's been on my mind a lot i'm going to take somebody different uh, I'm going to take Billy Joel as an example. So 
right around the same time, a little earlier, from three, four, five years earlier, maybe mid seventies, late seventies. The music is at its absolute nadir. You know, um, "You Light Up My Life" by Debbie Boone is the number one rock and roll song in the country. That's when I grew up. And along come people like Billy Joel, who just had so much authenticity. And again, I wasn't a huge Billy Joel fan, but uh, it, it's it's something I've been thinking about for a long, long time. You got this guy; he comes out of nowhere. Um, he's got all these songs in him, and he has to get them out. And he, of course, there's a lot of people like that, but every now and then you find one with genuine talent, and then you also find one uh, with genuine talent and and who stays with it long enough and, and hits the connection. So anyway, uh, the turnstiles and all these albums, bam, 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 and it's just, it's just everything, everything that comes out of them is a hit, everything. And then, and then, he gets all this fame and all this success and then he marries Christy Brinkley and he doesn't, he's not hurting for anything anymore. He's not the piano man playing in a bar. And that line's, uh, they, 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 uh, they put bread in my jar and say, man, what are you doing here? That line is, that's a line from a guy who's, who knows what he had and, and, and had to, had to spend a you know, fair amount of time getting there. But then it's over. And, and so the Rolling Stones are on tour now. They're in their 80s. They, they look like a traveling Halloween exhibit. And they're playing songs. And my point of it is, I can't think of, of any examples really other than, um, I can't think of any others off the top of my head. You get, you have this certain amount of songs in you, it seems. You get them out. And then you either retire and go away, or you spend the rest of your life playing those same songs again. Um, and uh, and and with one or two minor exceptions, nothing, you know, that he did after the first, you know, four or five years was was really any good. Um, but Sting. Uh, and he and he said, "Look, and, and there's another reason why I liked him." He said, "Look, I know I know everybody's here because you want to hear the old songs. We're gonna that's what we're gonna be doing tonight. You know, he's probably in his third or fourth song of the, of the night." And he said, "But since we're in Las Vegas, and if you don't mind, I thought what he said. If you don't mind, uh, there's two new songs that I wrote, and and I, and I'd like to play them for you now." And I thought, "What a class act!" First of all, a lot of bands when they have new album, new song, or new album coming out. They'll they'll play one or two old songs and play this new stuff. Anyway, my point of it is, um, is that he played these two new songs, and they were they were hit songs. They were great, great, great songs. I really liked them. And I guess somehow he's 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 found a way to do it. But you, do you ever wonder why that is? You know why why Billy Joel. Or Sting, or, or 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 the Rolling Stones, or whatever. Why why don't they just keep making hits? Anybody ever besides me ever wonder about that? Why is it that that it's true for uh, for for singers? Obviously, it's probably true for virtually every artist. Marusha said it's because they lost the hunger. I used to think that. I really did. I used to think it's because they were hungry, and now they're not anymore. I don't think that's it anymore. I really don't. I think 
I think that that they have simply said everything that they can say without repeating themselves and that anything from this point forward would essentially be a remix of the songs that they already sung and they didn't want to do that and um and and Dwayne uh, in the comment section says the muse departs maybe 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 the muse departs or maybe if you're lucky uh the muse helped you get everything you had in the attic out on the street and and then and that's a win and some people say they're bored with it or whatever i i did that second show with Zoe today and i and again i'll just keep saying it because i don't want somebody making fun of me on this i'm in that room watching sting and i realize i know what it's like to be up on that stage i know what it's like to be in the wings i know what it's like to come out there i know what it's like to get the audience feedback i know what that's like and and i am convinced now that it's just a, it's a question of once you've said everything that you can say anything else is just essentially repeating yourself and because i'm in a pretty trippy mood today i get uh emails uh saying um you know we want we want more firewalls like the ones you used to do uh, and i'm thinking all the firewalls that i could do i've done i've done 300 of them honestly big ones firewalls and afterburners it's pretty near 300 i think and then there's a question of all right so now what am i going to do am i going to am i just going to change the inflection on the lyrics and just sing the same song again and again and again doesn't work for me doesn't you know it works for comedians works for musicians doesn't work for me i can't i can't i don't have what am i trying to say i'm not out of things to say but i'm out of things to say first person singular and yet you know i still feel like i'm doing good work with these uh Moving back to America shows, they're relatively spontaneous and they're kind of keyed to the to the news cycle. So I've still got the chops, um, but that and the declining audiences and the declining views, you know, uh, that's a heartbreaker. I talked to Zoe about that too. Zoe just essentially just got shut off, and it's like you 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 have a um, you have a I mean, I, the, the firewall afterburner floor, the floor used to be 400,000 views. If it got less than 300,000 views, it was a catastrophic failure. Um, so, um, you know, it's like, uh, you just, just sometimes just don't really know what to do about that. Uh, but, uh, I realize that you, you can keep at it. And I also realize something else too. Sometimes somebody who's a musician will get everything they need to say out as a musician. And they'll do their songs and they'll be famous and all the rest of it. And then they'll take up painting or photography or something like that. And they turn out to be really excellent photographers or painters. And that's uh, kind of how I'm feeling right now. I really thought that I would have a, a mix of, uh, of this animation uh, to show you guys today unless there's a, but uh i was out for two days three days in um in vegas and uh and there was a final question that the uh 
or sound guy had, and I didn't answer it until just now, so I probably won't get it till tomorrow. Um, so, anyway, um, when I was somewhere around 2012 or 13, when I was really starting to go out a lot, uh, I started doing a speech on, on the video uh, that I did called What We Believe, six, six parts. And I, for the only time in my career, because I never do the same speech twice ever, but for a period of about a year there, I was doing the same exact speech, exact speech, every time I went out. And here's something I learned about um, performers like Sting and comedians like um, Brian Regan. I see Brian Regan in concert. And I see one of his HBO specials or something. I think, my God, that guy is just so brilliantly hilarious, the timing and all this stuff. And I'd see him on Letterman. He would do the exact same jokes, and he'd do the exact same jokes with the exact same pauses and the exact same moments of realization. And I was, like, disappointed, like, oh, man, I really feel like I'm ripping, like getting ripped off here. It's the same jokes I heard before. Anyway, when I got to the point when I actually had a set, there's only one point in my life, as I said, where I actually had a set. This is what I'm going to do. Uh, I would I would do that speech, and every time I did it, I got it better and better, and I would realize, oh, there's a joke I could make here. It's just kind of like this little reversal here, that kind of thing. Put them all in, pull them, and got it absolutely polished. And then I realized it was in the same boat as all these guys, where I'm just doing the same thing again and again and again, and I owe it to the audience to mix it up, to give them something different, because... You know, you want to just, you don't want to see the same thing you've already seen on the video. So I started to mix it up. I started to, you know, play around with it. And what I realized was I was making it worse. And um, and that's when I realized, I think, why comedians, when they do their, when they do their comedy routines, why the, why the, the, the joke is always the same and the timing is exactly the same always. Because that's the best version of that joke. It's the best version of the song. It's the best this, the best that. And you, you owe it to the audience to give them the, the very best version of it, you know, that you can. So, um, all of this to say that the, there's, a, there's, uh, there's not a lot more I can say about uh, guns, for example, from a first-person uh, perspective. But... There's a lot of things I can say about guns in terms of uh, a science fiction show where I'm dealing with uh, a family out on the frontier. Um, I got a lot of things I can say that way. So it's just a question of, of the, the tools. And, and uh, I really did think we'd have that first chapter of the show tonight. We will have it next, next show. And I'm not going to record that, by the way, for those of you watching on YouTube. Um, I've got some plans for what I'm going to do and how I'm going to roll that out. But if you're watching live, I'll, I'll have it uh, next week. And um, and it's finished. The first chapter is finished, finished. I mean, stand on its own, done, finished. And it looks great. Um, so anyway, uh, that's that. And I know I'm losing people because now the comment section is talking about things that have nothing to do with what I'm saying. So let me... Um, let me uh, go back and get, uh, there was like one or two big questions from the members that um, I, uh, uh, I didn't get last time. So uh, let me do that. Anyway, I liked him very much 
and he was insp inspiring. Insp he was inspirational in terms of his energy and stuff. So uh, let's see. I remember last week there was one gigantic, long, enormous, long question. It was a lot of effort in it, and I said I would take it this week, and it's this week. So uh, let's see. I suspect, as I might have mentioned, in whenever I get done with the show, uh, I'm going to go out to my favorite restaurant, and I'm almost positive they're not going to let me in without my uh, without my um, uh, yellow star armband on. So we'll see. So yeah, so let me find that one question, and and looks like there's another post uh, for today's questions too. Wow. This is like, the, the faster I run, the further behind I get. Uh, let me see what I, I just said I would take care of this. It's big. Okay. This isn't so much a question as it's just, let me see if I can get to the, to the heart of this thing. It's a long uh, case. It's a very well-written case. That's why I wanted to deal with it. Um, about answering a question I asked is, it, which was at what milestone is violent revolution justifiable? And uh, and it is a really excellent historical rundown from uh, Axe TM. And basically, what he's saying, if I get this correctly, is the time when you start when you when you have to resort to violence is when they're re resorting to violence, when they start kicking your door down or or forcibly grabbing people. Somebody is, God, I don't know, here we go. Reasons, uh, yeah, there's nothing better than watching somebody read on camera. Okay. I don't. Uh, it's an. It's an. I need just need to read it. It's really just an extremely good essay. But it's basically, I, if I if I got the gist of it just in uh, in uh, just perusing it. Um, it's it's essentially saying that. Uh, that that no one's going to start shooting until people start kicking doors down and he doesn't think if i read it correctly that that's likely to happen that they're going to start kicking doors down in their in in that case therefore there you go um i will say this uh the um the the fact that the that the 
communist mayor of New York City was replaced by a law and order uh, former policeman, and the fact that um, that Republicans won big in in Virginia, despite the fact that the media went all out and and very likely had their um, Dominion machines uh, overheating. My general theory seems to be holding up, and that is that the more of this people are seeing, the clearer it becomes, and the more clear it becomes, the more people are determined to stop it. It's easy to say, I was thinking about this on the way home before I came back for the show, I could make an extremely compelling case, an extremely compelling case, that America is the worst country in the world. I could list all of the things that are wrong with this country. I could, I could do it in such a way to make it absolutely airtight that this is the worst country in the world. But that's because I would be doing what the left is doing, and I would be comparing it to some imaginary perfection. And this is the point. Socialism is sold as this panacea against an imaginary perfection. It's an imaginary perfection. You point out all the problems with capitalism. You point out all the things with you know healthcare and and housing. All of it, all of the problems. You point them out. Point them out. Point them out. You say socialism will solve all these problems. See, socialism will solve these problems. It is the imaginary perfection. Uh, it's the imaginary perfection of Obama, the imaginary perfection of left-wing, it's the imaginary perfection of free health care, the imaginary perfection of, of all of it. And we have been losing a fight to imaginary perfection. And I got a lot of grief over telling people, look, the only way to get people to get rid of these ideas is to give it to them. People took that as like, so you're saying surrender? I'm saying not saying surrender. I'm saying we don't have any choice. It's coming. So now we're going to find out whether we're right or not. Um, because you cannot beat imaginary perfection. You can't compete with it. You can't defend. You cannot defend the status quo. That's what conservatism essentially is. You cannot defend it against imaginary perfection. And if the other side controls all of the loudspeakers and all the information, then it's reality versus imaginary perfection. And imaginary perfection is going to win because most people don't realize that it is imaginary perfection. Now, we're getting all of it. We're getting, um, we're getting indoctrinated with our woke policies in our movies, and our kids are being indoctrinated in it. And, and we have a, uh, a person in the White House who is... Um, utterly incapable, doesn't know what day it is. He was put there because he had to defeat Donald Trump. And and we saw what happened in Afghanistan. We see what's happening with this. They're about to tell me now, I'm virtually positive that I've got this right, that now I can't go into a restaurant. Now, almost two years after uh, COVID uh, first hit, they're telling me that I can't go into a restaurant now, even with a mask on, unless I show this vaccination passport and I mentioned obviously spending most of this time talking about um, about the sting concert but just before we left we realized we looked at the thing on Ticketmaster and Ticketmaster said that in order to get into the concert you had to show uh, proof of vaccination or a negative test uh, for COVID so we went down and got the 
COVID test. Another couple hundred bucks going into the pockets of Pfizer and all the rest of those guys. Uh, but the thing that was astonishing, not, not astonishing, actually, the thing that was exactly what I expected was that we got there, we're standing in line, we got our tickets, somebody comes down the line, almost like sideways, said, um, uh, we need to see your uh, vaccination thing or so on. I said, we got a negative COVID test. We start unfolding the papers and he was gone. He said, okay, great, stamp, stamp. We didn't, he didn't read them. He certainly didn't compare them to our, uh, didn't ask for ID. He didn't even read them. We just, we just unfolded a couple of big pieces of paper with, with uh, 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 text on it. And thank you. Montana's great. Uh, thanks very much. There's a lot of other places that are great, and, I'm, and, and they're pushing. But this was another thing that I predicted, and, and, and this is what I think is going to happen. That, that COVID-negative test was there because of federal mandates or whatever, or the whatever, whatever reason is there, it was there. But the enforcement was the same kind of enforcement that you would have when you're trying to enforce um, underage drinking laws. This is, this is what I've been saying. This, when, so the, the question is, take COVID out of it. If, you, if you're underage, let's say you're 19, you want to go out to a nightclub and you got a fake ID, how good does that ID have to be? Right, that's really the issue I'm trying to get at here. If, if, you, if you want to go drink it and you're 19 and you've got a fake ID, how good does that have to be? Does it have to be good enough to pass examination by somebody at the uh, uh, DMV? No. Does it have to be good enough to pass inspection by a policeman holding it up with a flashlight outside your car at nighttime? Nope. The, the fake ID has to be good enough for the bouncer to be able to say under oath that he saw the ID and as far as he could tell in the moment, this was the person on the picture. That's how good it has to be. It has to be good enough to provide legal coverage for the, for the, for the bouncers and for the nightclub. Now, obviously, the guy can't let you in if you look like you're 13 or if, if, if you're not the same uh, skin color or whatever the case may be. But if you've got an ID that looks kind of like the person, he's going to look at that. He's going to check the date. He's going to look at the face. In you go. And if he gets caught, if it turns out somebody says this woman was underage, then he and the restaurant or the bar or whatever will say, listen, they showed me an ID. I checked the date. I looked against the face. It looked like her face. What am I supposed to do? A DNA test? And so... Like everything else, now now you're just encouraged to break the law. You know what I realized? You know what I realized about this time that we're living in? Um, uh, I don't know anybody. In fact, I'm sure nobody's. There's nobody left. But I think that this whole thing with COVID right now, I think it has got to have been very much like prohibition. Um, I really, I really think that's got to be what it's what it must have been like. As once again, you know, you look at prohibition through the through the telescope of history and you say this bad idea happened and whatever it was 11 years later or 13 or nine. I don't remember. Here's this bad idea. And then all of this gangster stuff. And then uh, we uh, legalized drinking again. But I'm curious to know what it felt like. To the common Joe. Right after prohibition had passed, what was that like? 
you want to come home and have a beer. You've been doing this your entire life. Humans have been doing this since there's been humans. And so the next thing you know, you're, you're, you're come home from work building the Empire State Building or whatever, and you, you want to go out and have a beer and, or, or have one at home, and you find, uh, no, you can't do that anymore. Why not? Because a bunch of intellectuals and busybodies have determined that if we stop uh, alcohol sales, then all the crime will go away and, and domestic violence and all that stuff. What, was it must have been, what must it have been like for law-abiding citizens in those years of prohibition? You got to be asking the same questions we're asking ourselves now. This is a this is an unreasonable, unscientific, unconstitutional imposition on our freedoms, and now the government is forcing us to be criminals. Right? Isn't that basically it? Isn't that what happened during prohibition? Didn't everybody? who wanted to have a drink during Prohibition get a drink. I have heard that alcoholism went up during Prohibition. Um, and everybody was winking at it, right? And everybody was winking at it because everybody knew it was a bad idea, that it was an unfair idea. So you had all these speakeasies and there'd be raids and then you'd buy off the cops and all the rest of it. So all you do is you, you basically have an unenforceable law that, that criminalizes virtually everybody in the country and now everybody in the country is is a is is a is a criminal on purpose knowingly. Wyoming held up with a 21 drinking age because of coal. They didn't uh, need the Fed highway money. They caved it in 89 or 90 or so. Yeah, it used to be 18. Um, so yeah, and uh, Mobile Moto says Daily Wire is suing the Biden administration on mandates. Good for them. Uh, so, you know. What do you do when, when, when it comes to this? Because it's not about the science. I don't know what's going to be different tonight, but if they don't let me in there, then okay. But if I was there three days ago and I was, I would have to wear my mask to go in the door. And then when I sat down, I could take the mask off because I'm eating and drinking. You know, play stupid games, win stupid prizes, right? So, um, Wow. Mobile Moto says, I'm unvaccinated, but I've had COVID four or five times, walked through it like a light drizzle. Uh, I'm immune. You are immune. Uh, and um, and I'm at the point where I'm just thinking, you know, but see, if, if this were actual science, then you wouldn't have people insisting that you have to have the vaccine shot, even if you've already recovered from COVID, because... If it was science, you would know that natural immunity is the gold standard against which vaccines are measured. And uh, and so to say that somebody who has natural immunity has to have the vaccine is just plain insane, which tells me there's some other reason behind it. And um, and I have you guys seen the cut down of the of all the new shows that are sponsored by Pfizer. It was put out a little while ago. Might have, might have mentioned it last show. It's just this, this uh, yeah, CBS News this morning brought to you by Pfizer, 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 Pfizer. And I realized, you know, I hope that's it. I hope it's just money. I really do. I hope it's just plain, good old-fashioned American greed and nothing more. 
that all of this is about money. That's my hope now. That's my prayer. It's about just about money. Um, because yeah, Edward Smith said the real cost of COVID is how people respond to a more serious pandemic. I'm not disagreeing with you, Edward, but my feeling on this has evolved as well. My latest theory is, uh, is that, that this whole COVID thing is essentially a dress rehearsal for the planet is dying. Here's what we have to do to save the planet. This is what I, this is what I'm beginning to think. I'm beginning to think it is, it is not only getting us prepared for it, but it's also finding out where the boundaries are. Um, if they can get us to do this in order to, uh, because of safety, then I think I'm beginning to suspect that the, um, that the next thing will be the green emergency, the green crisis. Planet is dying. We must act now for our own safety. And, and they know that large numbers of people will go along with this. Uh, anyway, um, if you had told me that, in, if you had told me that, when was it, March 18th during the Stratosphere Lounge when I got the notice from the comment section that, uh, that lockdowns occurred starting at midnight, 2020, March 18 on 2020, if you told me that, that, that in November of 2020, they would still be enforcing this kind of thing, I would have said, come on. But it's not November of 2020. It's November of 2021. It's two years gone now. Two years. Um, and uh, and we'll see. But it sure as hell isn't science. That much we're sure of. That much we really know. Um, and guys, this is it. You know, we're in the middle of this full court press. This is, this is cultural Stalingrad. We're in it right now in the middle of it. They are, they are all out on the table, everything they got. And then, and they're, and they're not, it's not working. I still see, I live in California, the, the most cowardly state in the nation. And, um, and I see plenty of people out there uh, wearing their masks in their cars by themselves with the windows rolled up to show how obedient they are. And that's exactly the word I'm looking for, to show how obedient they are. But, but they, don't have, they don't have the troops. They don't have enough. There's not enough people. Uh, not even close. So can they cheat on elections? Yes, they can. Can they cheat their way out of a huge, huge, overwhelming win? Maybe not. Um, and, and, and nobody's buying it and everything's failing, right? We're going to have a wait till Christmas comes and, um, and there's nothing on the shelves. People will not forget that last Christmas there was stuff on the shelves and we knew who president was at that time. So, um, yeah, serenity is right. Uh, so they're they're you know they're they're just it's this is it this is this is this is the revolution we're in the middle of it now this is the middle of the revolution, and they're not going to succeed they 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 they're not 
it, I talked about this, I think, before on a virtue signal or a couple of other things. You can watch an offensive go through lines. It's a gigantic push battle of the Bulge or the, uh, or the Michael offensives or the Ludendorff offensives in World War I or, or Battle of Bulge in World War II or whatever. And you can mass a lot of troops on, on a border and you can punch through that line and you can go deep, 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 deep into the enemy rear and wipe out everything in your path and convince those spot defenders that, that they've just lost the war. But if you don't have enough power to end the war on that offensive, if there's not enough power for you to make the other side surrender, then it's just a question of time till that offensive runs out. And when it's run out, they've shot their bolt. There's nothing left. They, don't, they can't do it again. And, and furthermore, now all of the morale switches, right? They've taken their best shot and, and we're still standing. So, okay. And that's, that's what it looks like to me sitting here, for those of you that might be interested, that they have marshaled their forces for 50 years, that November 4th of last year was the day that the Nazis went into the Soviet Union. It was the day that the Germans went over the top in the, in the uh, Michael Offensive. It, it, November 4th of last year was the invasion. That's when it became... That's when it was no longer building up forces and, and massing troops and, and, and all. That's when they actually went into, into actual combat. And I've spent the last year now, almost to the day, really to the day. It's November 5th, 2021. It's the morning when you woke up last year and realized that, oh, they stopped counting on night, but they, but they still counted. They said they were stopping, but they counted anyway. And now, we're, yeah, okay. That was a year ago that morning. And, and they have not been able to get us to surrender, which means they're going to lose. Have they done in yes when 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 an army invades on a, on that kind of blitzkrieg, they destroy everything in their path, and that's what they've done. But they have not got the momentum to end this thing, and they have to end it, and they and and they don't they don't have it. It's not there. And now, so here's the thing about an offensive, right? Once you if you want about a sneak attack, because that's what that's what. Last year's election was a sneak attack. It was Pearl Harbor, 9-11. Here's the thing about a sneak attack. That sneak attack had better get the other side out of the war because if it doesn't, not only does the offensive stall, but so does the element of surprise. I can tell you one thing about the 2024 election. The 2024 election, they're going to try and cheat as much as they cheated in 2020, but... I can guarantee you that that there that the amount of observation on the that there that there that the ease of cheating is going to be it's going to be much 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 harder because in 2024 we're not only going to be thinking wow they might cheat we know what they're going to do we know how they're going to do it and we're going to be there they're not they don't they don't get to fly over Hawaii waving from the cockpit twice they get to do that one time right that's what they said about the first wave going into pearl harbor the planes were coming in so low and they could say the japanese pilots were waving to kids playing baseball down there well you get to fly japanese planes over pearl harbor one time and you get to have everybody confused and terrified and and and, and lost and is it this is it that what's going on is this a real war and they only get to do this once and they've done it so now now there we go uh, Mobile Moto said, "Is uh, somebody mentioned uh, Kamala Harris? 
let's just sit here and in you know sometimes life not sometimes for me lately and for you too this last year has been like sitting in in something damp and wet and cold it's been like sitting in something it's like been sitting in cold water on a on a park bench but while we're in that mood we need to understand the actual fact that barring some astonishing turn of events, the, the next president of the United States is going to be Kamala Harris. There's no way that Joe Biden's going to make it to 2024. Not, not, a, not a prayer, not a chance. He will, he's already doesn't even know what day it is. He will not be able to, to, to finish syllables. So she is going to be the next president of the United States. And frankly, I cannot imagine any other way to drive a stake through the heart of this whole idea of woman president, black president, and so on, socialist president, progressive president. I cannot imagine. If you think Joe Biden is bad and he's horrible, wait till you get President Harris. Uh, wait till the country sees, wait till the country sees how she responds to a genuine emergency. Uh, the Virginia election showed us two important things. Number one, that people are fed up and that they're aware of what's going on in a way they weren't before. And more importantly, much more importantly to me, it showed that we can still win elections, that they cannot rig it to zero, that, that, they can, that there are limits to how much cheating they can do. So... If all of this is true, then this last year has just been a year of, of retreat and falling back and watching these troops coming over the, over the border and, and just, my God, there's no end to them. And, you know, we, we just lost, you know, well, we'll have to fall back to, you know, Bapam or something. It's like, no, 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 that was taken by the Germans three hours ago. Oh, for God's sake. The Germans in World War I had to cut the British off from the French and get to the channel. They didn't do it. And, and that meant they lost the war. So if these people and their cultural assault had, had, they'd have to put us out of the game, and they haven't, because nobody wants what they're selling. Um, couldn't, uh, Brokaw shooting says, couldn't we have an actually competent woman president though? Put a female Marine in there, she'll have the manliness of the 10 soy boys. Yes, and I saw one of those in Virginia. And I think that Condoleezza Rice would have been one of the greatest presidents in the history of this country. And Condoleezza Rice would have been an amazing black woman president because Condoleezza Rice doesn't consider herself a black woman president. She considers herself to be the president. She doesn't make any... Condoleezza Rice would be... Condoleezza Rice is everything that the left claims that they want. She's everything. She's not. She didn't marry her way into into power. She didn't. She didn't do any of that stuff. She didn't. She didn't manipulate her way. She didn't do anything. It's all on her own. First black woman to do a lot of things, and she's a she's a she's a null. There's no echo back from her because she's a Republican. So anyway, um, there you go. It's an encouraging day uh, because of that election win. Just to know that it's still theoretically possible to win an election is nice. Um, 
and uh, and we will see. Uh, I'll tell you the truth, guys. The only reason I didn't cancel tonight was because I said I'd be here um, uh, because I am just not feeling good at all. I'm just I'm burned out. I'm just a, I, I can't read the questions. I can't follow them. I'm just I'm just uh, dizzy and confused. So um, I know that virtually everybody watches this show, watches it on YouTube. But I came in tonight because of the 40 or so people that are watching it live because I said I'd be here and I didn't want you guys to be disappointed again. Uh, so, um, yeah. I'm going to... It's not a question of time off from work. That's something that can be done. It's a question of time off from this you know how how do i how do i take two weeks off from from this joe biden said i saw earlier today uh that um vaccinated people could go outside without a mask so long as they don't do it in a group it's a laughing stock right and isn't that that's kind of where we, that's actually kind of good. It's kind of good. Um, really, you know, it, we're, we're against control, right? We're against control. We're, con, we're against authoritarianism. We're against people telling us what to do. They've created a world where common, regular, honest, working people are going to be defined into being criminals. And so what does that do? It results in contempt for the law and contempt for government and contempt for all of these things. And they should be held in contempt. It's a win for us. They don't even realize it. They're, all, of their, all of their coercive authority is being eroded on a daily basis because it's being applied to things that everybody knows is not true. And many people have said this before, but that, but that the entire idea of the Soviet Union, at least in its later decades, was that everybody had to agree to things that they knew were not true. That's what the Soviet Union became. Everybody had to agree to say things that they knew wasn't, weren't true. And, and that's not the basis to build a long-term society on. They're going to lose. They're going to lose. Uh-huh. Bag of Sprite says, get MetaHumans, Bill Whittle, and get an AI to write some scripts for it. Wouldn't be as good as Genuine Organic, Bill. Thank you very much. Uh, I found, um, uh, funny you mentioned that, because I was talking earlier about, you know, you only have so many songs, but um, I saw, uh, I have a motion capture suit back behind me here. I'm not very happy with it. So I got a better one, uh, and it won't be here till January because of the chip shortage. But I've seen several real-time demos of, of somebody wearing that suit with the facial motion capture going into Unreal and coming out of Unreal live. So I could be a talking dinosaur right now or whatever the case may be, and it would be absolutely live. And when that gets here, I'm going to start looking at that because... I've noticed that the people who are successful out there, I mean now, because YouTube's been changing all the time, 
they're successful because they've got good content, but they've got a gimmick. And, um, and I don't mean that in a derogatory way at all. It's just, it's just in this postmodern meta world, you can't really say anything serious unless you're making fun of yourself doing it. And that's why Critical Drinker and, um, and Doomcock are so successful. And same for JP, right? You got three guys there. JP's gotten a lot more political, which surprises me, makes me happy. But basically, you've got, you've got three guys there whose audience numbers are going way, way up as mine continue to go down. And, and they, they're all basically saying the same thing, except that all three of them are doing it from behind a mask. And I think now I really think this has just put two pieces of the, of the wire together for me here. They're not getting dialed down the way I am because they're speaking through a mask, right? That's why they're not getting the, the treatment that I got or that Zoe got. They're not, they're not getting dialed down because, because they are doing it in a, in a mocking fashion. And somehow or another, that seems to be the way into the cell that we viruses have. Uh, so JP can just come out and just call Biden a drooling idiot, get 300, 400,000 views in two or three days. He's built that audience. I don't mean to take anything away from him at all. I, I, I watched him before he was political. I thought he was brilliant. But JP is a character, and Doomcock is a character, and Critical Drinker is a character. And like I said, we, we live in an age where you, you simply can't come out and say something. You have to be... Uh, ironic about it. Um, uh, so, uh, so if that's what it is, then that's what I'm going to do. Um, we're gonna we're gonna find out. I'm, my first thought was to do was to do commentary as uh, as an Apollo astronaut who got left on the moon and just had a little lunar base up there or something. Landed there in 1971, looking up there, got a little TV set, black and white TV set, watching the latest news coming in from the planet and saying, I cannot believe these idiots are going through this. That's probably not the best idea, but we'll see. Um, however, uh, the, the first animation chapter is done. And... Um, and uh, Alfonso, Rachel, and I are a couple of nights, uh, and we are going into uh, a living hell of a place called uh, Democratic Party Headquarters. And we'll see. I put a lot of um, put a lot of work and a lot of time into it, and um, the the release plan is. Yeah, well, thank you for asking, Dave Big Booty. When does the membership plan begin? Here's how I think it's going to work. Um, I was hoping to, let me just check my mail one more time. No, that's okay. Uh, all right. Uh, so here's what I'm, here's what I'm planning to do. Um, the first chapter of this animation is, is done. 
hopefully next week, this coming week, uh, uh, Jeff Mark, who's um, who's the guy who did all the uh, graphics for Battlestar Galactica and all the other stuff, who's, who's really open. He, Jeff, and I've mentioned him, I've just never mentioned him by name. Jeff and I and Zoe will do a three-way Zoom call. And we will read the entire Diaz for Dungeon script. It's 27 pages, six chapters. We're going to read the whole thing. So it's going to be a table read. And table reads are the most fun part of just about any theatrical or movie performance. The table read is probably the, the single most fun uh, part. For those of you not familiar with it, table read is where you've cast the movie or the play. You've got the actual actors and everything's locked down in terms of the cast. And so this is the first time that everybody, everybody's read bits of it. You know, they've read these lines while they're, you know, while they're auditioning all the rest of it. But a table read is where the final cast gets together and they read the script out loud for the first time. And everybody gets that kind of communal experience of saying, so, wow, this is what it's going to sound like. And uh, we don't really only have uh, uh, two cast members here. Um, but the script is, is actually really, I think, very funny, very funny. Uh, and I'll probably need to have a scotch or two before I do the table read because my character is kind of a bombastic kind of a... Uh, he's much like me. He's an over, uh, over-loquacious, uh, smart aleck. Um, but... So the so here's the release plan. So we're going to do the table read and the first chapter. And they're going to be put together, and that's going to be for members only, because I don't want it out there public. But that doesn't get us any new members. Now, the one problem I had was that this first chapter of this animated story is the setup. It's the It's the what's going on you can't just walk into the castle so it's the two of us talking we encounter this werewolf we defeat the werewolf we find the castle deserted dark castle looks great walk up to this dark castle what is this place zoe's been there before i'm going to help him out this time i say what's the name of this place and <laughs> reveals itself to be uh, democratic party headquarters and that's the end of the first chapter but there's nothing in that there's two things about that first chapter that i have to deal with one of them is that there's nothing in there that shows how we are making fun of other things like uh, faucius and all the rest of it and the second thing is is that we wear our helmets for that entire first chapter and so there's no way that we can um uh show how good the the actual metahumans look so by the end of this coming week, I hope to have the table read and the first chapter out for the membership so that the membership knows what it is I've been working on and what I'm trying to do. But in order to go out and get new members, there's one more thing I need to do. Um, I need to show how this Shakespearean parody works. Uh, and that means I need to shoot not entire scenes, I need to shoot probably four or five lines like a trailer. And then I had an idea that I actually like quite a lot. So I, I think, I know, I know that the members only stuff will be available in the very near future for members to see so they know what's going on and why I've been taking all this time. 
but in order to go after new members, probably be January, I would say, I need to show a finished paragraph, not the table read, and then here's what we're trying to do, help us finish this thing. And that'll consist of some of the better lines and better scenes in the movie. One line, boom, so people hear how it works. And then I had an idea that I liked a lot. Rather than having me come on again and say this, what I thought I would do is we'll do the first chapter complete with a sound. And then I thought we might do a scene where Zoe and I are in the dungeon someplace and we're poking around in one of these treasure rooms or something. And we look at each other, you know, and we got everything lit the way it has been. And we just seen the first chapter and we turn to look at each other. The helmets are off and, and then we hold there for a second. Then you hear, then you hear this voice yell, cut, and ring, this bell rings. And I say, okay, next, some, somebody off camera says, okay, next setup. And then uh, Zoe and I turn to the camera, the CG Zoe and I turn to the camera, and somebody starts pushing this dungeon wall out of the way, and you can pull back and you see lights and camera like we're on a movie set. And then we walk off the set and we basically say, hey, we're working on this project, and here's, what, here's a couple of extra scenes coming from downstream, and treat the whole thing like one of those behind-the-scenes trailers where they caught us between takes, between setups, and we're... And, get the joke, right? We, we walk past a camera and lights, but in the computer animated world, there are no physical cameras or lights, all just math. I just thought the idea of us like yelling cut and having the computer generated characters turn around and, um, uh, and, and, and just like walk out, you know, like, hey, how's it and, and so, you know, somebody can give Zoe a Starbucks or something like that, you know, and I can, or maybe they should give me a Starbucks and I can throw it against the wall because I didn't get the soy latte instead of the, I wanted the almond milk. Um, yes, they have plenty of assets that they can use. And they have entire movie sets. So I'll just put a dungeon in there and I'll light it and then I'll uh, come back and um, yeah, do that. And that's how we'll sell it for new members. And we'll say, help us finish this thing. Um, so, oh, Somebody said, uh, have, a, have, a, uh, a, a, have a CG Mr. Spock walk past in the background. I, I, I beat you to it. Uh, what I'm going to do is, because, um, you know, when, once the bell rings and somebody else cut, usually all the actors are walking around and so on. So what I thought would actually be really funny would be, if you've already seen the first chapter, right, where we fight the werewolf, uh, I thought what would be kind of cool would be we'd have Zoe and I sitting there talking and they're moving the sets and we got the lights and the camera and all the rest of it. And then I wanted to have the werewolf walk through the shot. And I wanted to say, hey, hey, come here, come here, Brandon. And, and, have, and say, Brandon here is a, played the werewolf, uh, and it's this horrible looking thing, you know, and he says, he's a, he's a solid conservative. He's been, he's, he's been a conservative in Hollywood as long as I've known him. I've known you for, what, 14 years now? Well, say hi, say hi to the people in waves, and then off camera you hear somebody say, uh, "Hey, let's go, Brandon." And uh, I thought, "Hey, how's it going to get better than that?" Uh, so, um, having having the um, having the werewolf come in and wave, because it is a freaking horrifying looking creature. It really is. Uh, does a lot. And it main thing it does is it uh, shows that we're having fun. And somebody, maybe one or two people, pointed out in the comments, once I started talking about this, I sure looked a lot more cheerful than I did before. <laughs> the werewolf do the Cornholio pose. I miss Cornholio. I miss, I miss Beavis. I don't miss Butthead. I miss Beavis a lot. Uh, 
but these kind of things are actually pretty simple for me. So uh, I'm, I know I know what a build time estimate is. I know how build time works. But the first chapter animation is done. Picture locked, finished. It is doing a final mix. The music is done for it. The sound effects are done. It is being mixed as we record this. The table read will be there, and I think it will probably take me to early January to get the extra five or six shots that I need to, to show people what the rest of the um, short would look like. And we'll get a good idea of what those lines are when we do the table read and we'll, when we get the reaction from the table read. Uh, but I'm looking forward to that in a big way. And we'll have to record. Um, I won't have the suit. You know, the, the, just just a, something I could talk about without getting the shakes. Uh, one of the reasons that this first chapter has taken me as long as it has and has been so difficult to do is because... I have had to use stock animations, and that, that means that if I want to have somebody walk up, turn, shrug, and then point at something, I have to find three or four animations to do that. I have to retarget them. I have to sync. It's, it's horrendously difficult. Every single move in every single shot, I've got to find some way to time or move or, or splice this stuff. But this new suit looks to be an awful, awful, awful lot better. And if I can just simply go in and just act it and then just drop it onto the character and move on to the next one, then we will go a lot faster. So I am hoping that, uh, that this animated thing will, um, will show people that this is the way to do it. That, that the one thing that they cannot stand is, um, is ridicule. Uh, uh, Steve's show on Right Angle this week is about how um, how Let's Go Brandon is driving them nuts because they can't stop it, and it's cultural, and it's laughing at them, and they don't like being laughed at. So uh, I personally think that I've written something that's actually very, very clever. Very clever. Um, so... Uh, so we'll see. We'll see. Uh, you know, I was, I was watching Sting there, and I mentioned this to Natasha afterwards, and, I, and I'm watching him, and I just liked him so much. I just liked him. And uh, uh, if Marisha asked if I've said all I've have to say, does that mean I'm moving to more of a producer role? No, I, when, when I say I'm, I think I've said pretty much all I have to say, I have said pretty much all I have to say on the high-level philosophical issues in first-person singular. I don't want anybody to misunderstand me. I'm not done. I'm just, I'm just, and, and obviously I can continue to comment and will continue to comment 10 times a week, eight to 10 times a week on what's happening today. But the high-level stuff, I'm going to be showing people instead of telling people, which is a thousand times more effective, and I don't plan to be out of this at all. I'm not taking a step down. I'm hoping that I'm going to be magnifying my powers by two orders of magnitude. Um, by the way, I have a voice of the castle in this thing that I wrote. I wrote well before we started talking about uh, Doomcock. Uh, the castle has an actual voice, and, I, and I'm going to ask uh, Doomcock to do it. Don't cheat it. 
don't tell him. But I'm sure he will. I, I hope he will anyway. And then that would be great because that that's a you know it's a tie-in. Um, so uh, yeah, I think I think this. See this 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 script allows me to. Well, one of the scenes is where the two of us are in there and we see something that Zoe hasn't seen before. We see these four enormous orcs coming out of a woman's bathroom. And I said, what are they? He's, Zoe's been there. He's, he says, I've never seen them before. I said, does that mean we can attack them? He said, yeah. So we go running at these things. And, um, and just as we're about to go wailing into them, uh, they all just throw up their hands and, and start shrieking and say, you can't, honor forbids you from attacking us because we're women. And, and so what, what is YouTube going to flag me for, for, for making fun of orcs? You see how this works? This is how it works. This is how you get away with it in a totalitarian information sphere. You've got to, you've got to do what the what the Soviets did. Uh, you've got to hide it in plain sight. Marisha said you might be women, but you're not females. The actual line I'm going to use is from Shakespeare, because Shakespeare wrote half of the show. And I think the line was something like, I would call you women, but your beards forbid me from naming you so. Something like that. But then these gigantic works say, no, we're women, you can't hurt us. And, and Zoe's outraged by this. I, I'm, I'm always just got something bombastic to say. Zoe's genuinely angry about this. And he says, well, you, well, then why are you dressed like warriors? And they say, we are warriors. We just go to war with other women. And uh, we are warriors. We only, we just fight women. And, and you see these nine foot tall, heavily muscular thing with the big tusks. You know, you get the voice just right. It's like, we are women. We, only, we are warriors. We just only fight against other women. Okay. Uh, yes, it's, it's racist to orcs. It's a real critique of fantasy works on the left these days. Yes, of course it is. Of course it is. That, uh, that, that um, we're, 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 we're um, it's because of the rampant orcophobia uh, in American culture today. Good. Good. Let them do it. Let them attack orcs. Uh, yes, and Ghost said, put it up on a new channel. I'm absolutely going to do a new channel. I'm going to do an animated channel. I might do a third channel, a pop culture channel. I don't know how I'm going to do that yet, but there will certainly be at least one other. Uh, and, um, and that's how you make fun of them. That's how you make fun of them. Um, The Antifids come at, come at us real early. It's the first real conflict we have in Chapter 2. The castle says, all right, well, then basically prepare to die, and, and they send a squad of 10 really high-quality, digitally high-quality orcs after us. And Zoe says they're Antifids. And I say, well, they're unpleasant. They're ill-favored Ill fellows. Ill yeah, I think ill-favored fellows, aren't they? Yes. 
So all of a sudden, this horde of orcs comes running at us with all of their nasty orc armor, yelling and screaming, and got their weapons, and they're doing all this other stuff. And we're outnumbered 10 to 2, and they're standing there posturing, and they're just as scary as you can possibly get them. And so uh, Zoe's got his big hammer, and I've got... Um, oh, thank you, Marisha. So Zoe gets his hammer, and I draw my sword, and we take two steps towards this army of orcs, and they all just run away or go down to the ground and start crying. They just run. We don't, we don't even we don't even get close enough to swing. We just advance two steps on them, and they 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 run away in hysteria, crying. And my character says something to the effect of, "Well, it's a verbatim. It says, that was easier than I thought it would be." And Zo says, "Yes." Uh, and Tifids have the uh, countenance of crocodiles, but the hearts of hamsters. And how better to make fun of these people than to say, yeah, you all look like a bunch of really hardcore warriors, but once anybody stands up to you, even takes a step in your direction, you just run for the hills. I'm, call I'm not just calling them fascists, you see. I'm calling them cowards. And for, and for uh, guys who are dressed in black, wearing helmets and boots, and carrying red and black flags and beating up people, because they think they're such badasses, calling them cowards is the thing that they can't handle. And the same thing goes for the for the uh, the trans athletes too. It's not like you know, no, got no problem with with trans people. But but when you say that you're that, you, that you're a warrior and you only fight against women, that makes you a coward. That's the way I look at it. That's how I see it. And that's how a lot of people see it. And and when you see it that way, it's just great. You just, everybody gets it. Uh, have I watched Cobra Kai? I have not. Um, I have not seen it. Anyway, uh, strange show today, and apologize for, for being so, um, uh, you know, low energy and, in the words of Sir William, and nothing but a babbling, dizzy-eyed, spittle-dripping hedge pig uh, today. But uh, half of my shows are below average, uh, and I'm sure this is one of them. Anyway, this show is made possible by the members of BillWhittle.com uh, who uh, keep all of this stuff happening, and, and I have a, a need to... Um, to show them what I've been working on and talking about, mostly mostly talking about for three years now. So it's finished. That chapter is finished. I don't have to explain anything. It just, there it is. Stands on its own two feet. And um, and then I can uh, hope hope to not only convince them to, to ride with me on this, but to, to bring in a whole new crowd of people who really get it, you know, hopefully a younger crowd. People who really get it. It's like, this is, no, this is the only way to, this is the only way to reach the people we need to reach is to hit them with something, hit them with the eye candy, and then they, they come for the eye candy, and they stick around for the, uh, they stick around for the conservative goodness. All right. Um, yeah, that'll do it. Thanks. Uh, we'll, um, we'll see you guys next Thursday, and, and uh, I expect for the live audience only, um, we'll, run, uh, we'll run the first chapter, but we will not record it. And if it's ready, and I expect it will be, I'll make that announcement on the uh, 
Facebook page as well. So maybe we can get 80, 100 people in here, something like that. Watch it live, get your feedback, and then we'll turn on the recorder. Okay, that's it. Great. Uh, thanks again uh, for joining us, and uh, we'll see you next week.